back again, seven weeks away from college basketball, not even at this point, rolling on through the month of September, which has flown by. Like, I feel like I looked up at the calendar one day and it was September 1st. I was like, shit, September. And now it's like September 20th. So here we are plugging along through preview season. We've had the ACC, the Pac-12, and the Big 12 uh, already in the books. So if you are interested in one of those shows, I encourage you to go check out wherever you're listening to this podcast. Go through the feed and check that out there. I know um, our friend, good friend of the program, Tristan Freeman, tweeted that he was binge listening to our conference previews with Brad. I think one episode of listening to us is, is probably enough, right? Like, I, well, I, I can't I mean, imagine like four hours of me and you droning on in someone's ears, but it's, it's what someone wants to do, it's more power to Specifically our Big 12 preview, that was the league when I was, you know, when we were doing the podcast, I was like, we've definitely talked about all these teams oh my gosh. multiple times throughout the summer. The, the Pac-12, not as much. As, as you could tell that I didn't know a single thing about Cal's front court and their ages. Um, it, it is time, fun, time, time flies by when, when the team finishes in the bottom two of the yeah. conference every, every year. It is funny, though. Like I, and we'll get into stuff. There's some news to hit on before we hit, get to the Big East. I, I said this to people um, last year, and I felt it at the beginning of the season, and I felt it again in March. Because of the nature of this industry in this job and, and i think it's probably more pronounced for me just because of the like feel the 68 stuff that i do and brian burton's show uh, obviously writing at sports illustrated and all the radio hits that i wound up doing across the country like i wind like you form like the thing you're gonna say about x team and you just stick with it no matter what platform you're on and like i feel like we've said the kansas state bit like six times like, yeah tang's bringing some energy he's doing a good job Keontae Johnson makes them interesting, but this, these mid-major guys, they're, they're really not talented. Like, I, I remember last year, like, one of our very consistent bits was, like, you, you, you like we were talking about St. John's, and we'd bring up Joel Soriano, the Fordham's transfer, you'd say, well, you know, back when he was coming out of high school, a lot of people said that he was too good for Fordham. I mean, like, there's always things you just come up with, and those, those are the bits that stick. So if you are a dedicated listener, you've probably found out the bits that stick with us. Uh, and that is inevitable. And until the games start, there's only so much we can do. We can keep doing research. We can keep finding different numbers. And we do. I think we do a good, as good a job as anyone uh, at you know, coming up with more and more intel and different angles to look at this thing. And certainly it helps that there's lots of other people doing really good work, whether it's the three-man weave, whether it's you know, the heat check guys, whether it's sleepers, whether it's you know the busty brackets folks. Like There's so much, and I'm forgetting people, so forgive me, but you know there's so much content out there that it's you know some, you, you can pick up stuff here and there, but uh, definitely getting to the point in preview season, particularly for the teams that we've talked about a lot on the podcast, teams have had a lot of turnover, where it's like, I've already said the things I'm going to say. No, I, and, and we try to do a podcast every week in the off season, and we like, or at least I like, you know, whenever there's a personnel move, oh yeah, we kind of spin that into like a mini preview of its own. Um, like, for example, the Oklahoma State just lost I don't even remember his name because I took him off my, my depth charts. Russell Harrison. Russell Harrison. Big 6'7 wing who could really shoot it. He's going to be a seventh-year senior. He was going to be like a good sixth man for them. First little piece. I think I'm not knock him down a couple spots. But, but at the end of the day, this Oklahoma State team was about an, like an imposing athletic front court 
Yeah, and then, the, and then the scores in the backcourt. So they're 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 on the they're on the TCU track. Like they can do a lot of like the same things that TCU does. But I think TCU has slightly better guards. So although TCU might be without Damian Ball for a period of time because he's a non-certified agent uh, throughout the draft process. So exactly. that's probably why everybody thought he was going to, to the pros. Definitely. Yes. Because on he, every he, single he, draft declaration sheet, it was like, oh, he's gone for sure. Well, he said and he I remember was. Think, and then yeah, I remember thinking, like, why? My bad. Sorry, why is this a foregone conclusion? He's not a prospect. Mike Miles did the same thing, but I think he at least used an NCAA agent. So. Anyway. Agent, yeah. It would be nice if everyone there, – there's, there's a long list. It's public, publicly available, like who's, who's NCAA certified. So I don't, I don't feel like massive like pain towards someone who doesn't check the list and puts himself – and then in this own, in their own position like this. But anyway, uh, before we get into the Big East, which is always a fun podcast and a, always fun preview, Brad and I obviously watch a ton of Big East basketball. Um, I will promise not to let Brad get too optimistic about Providence on this podcast, but I'm sure he will try anyway. Although I think Brad is very measured. Listen, listen, Providence is is slowly becoming one of the biggest villains in college basketball. It seems like everybody has now turned against Providence. Well, think a, a little too much praise about the, making a Sweet 16 last year. God forbid that fans get excited um, and actually a, a, a appreciate something in this age of championship or bust in the NBA. Or for a lot of these blue bloods complain, you know, people complain that Calipari hasn't made a Final Four in X amount of years. Or prior to the last season, Bill Self couldn't get past the Elite Eight or whatever the whatever the narrative of the day is, Mark Few and his championship quest. Um, so I th- so people are so into that negative mindset that I, I think Providence preseason prediction is taking some heat, taking some backlash from the fans being excited over last year. Fair enough. There's no um, other explanation how people are this down on them. But. Yes, people are haters. That's, that's the real explanation. Uh, anyway, a uh, couple news tags before we get into the Big East. We'll hit these relatively quickly because I don't think they're worth huge blocks yet. The first one is Imani Bates. Um, for those of you that have not been paying attention, Imani Bates was arrested uh, in Michigan on Sunday night. Uh, he was later charged with a pair of felonies related to uh, gun possession, one of them um, related to a serial number on the gun being tampered with. Um, he's pled not guilty. His uh, lawyer, who also is his agent, Steve Haney, um, claims that Amani's was not the owner of the gun, that it was just someone else's car that he was borrowing and he was in you know, the wrong place, wrong time, whatever. Until the legal matter, legal matter is settled, he is uh, away from the Eastern Michigan basketball team. Uh, and all in all, just like a kind of depressing turn and an already depressing career arc for a guy who was anointed by a lot of people, including my employer at a very, very young age. I was looking forward to seeing him play a mid-major basketball, maybe a bye game here or there. And, you know, he still could. We'll see how quickly this gets resolved, though. But the whole scratching off a serial number implies the gun was stolen, correct? I mean, like, I feel like I've watched a lot of cop shows, but I'm, I don't have enough expertise beyond that to speak to it. 
because they they don't want to be able to trace the serial number to who actually purchased it. I I I think Probably. that's the interpretation. That sounds like a reasonable way of interpreting. Anyway. We'll um, see. But. So, so yeah, I mean, like, look, obviously we don't know how long it's going to take to get this resolved. Um, I will say, like, I like jokingly kind of share text with people, like, how fun would it be if you got like a legit like last chance you Amani base edition, like you wound up in a JUCO next year, or like Amani resurfaces at New Mexico State in like a year and a half. Um, I mean that th- those things would be like individually fun storylines, but like for his development, like this is a very 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 important year. He needs to be on the floor. He needs to be playing. He needs to be showing he's a positive uh, contributor to a winning team. And this is obviously a bad misstep on that path. Hopefully, again, it gets sorted out. Um, and again, I think every, I think everyone wants any anyone who like is rooting against the Monty Bates. Like I feel weird about that. Like I don't I don't I don't quite understand like the value in like hoping that this kid fails. Um, so like because that's internet I, brain. That's oh, that's what people do on the internet. Yeah. If, if something gets too popular, they want to tear it down. So again, we'll see. I mean, I, I will say, I mean, it is one of the perils of going back home. Right. I mean, it's not it's not neither, none of our places to tell Amani Bates what decisions he should make and what decisions he shouldn't make. But like, I think it was relatively obvious when he committed to Eastern Michigan for, from a basketball standpoint and an off the court standpoint, that this was going to be a situation where he wasn't going to he wasn't going to have to work on the things that he needed to work on, which were becoming more mature, um, becoming more of a winner, um, contributing outside of scoring the basketball getting outside of the bubble where he was first anointed as something truly special, right? I mean, he is still the, you know, the king of Ypsilanti. His prep school was named Ypsi Prep. And I do just kind of wonder how much being back in that environment contributed to things like this. But, you know, at the end of the day, like, this is a bad decision if he was the one who made this decision. And, uh, until we know more about what his status will be for this season, it is a big, significant issue for his basketball future with regards to the pros and the NBA. Yeah, I mean, really, he, he's had to learn to not take stupid jump shots. That, that was basically the gist of it, and, and probably not play point guard. You know, play, play the three, play within the team construct, and don't take crazy shots. And with his size playing at the MAC, he probably would have coasted to high double-figure scoring and a whole new lease on a on on his professional stock. Because he remember he he re- I think, I think you're a little optimistic, very young. but yeah, I think you're a little optimistic yeah. on what would have happened, but yeah. Well, that's that's assuming that he stopped taking crazy shots, which. Well, um, right. I just don't know that there isn't a Monty Bates without the crazy shots, right? Like. I think it's like reasonable to say like, Amani Bates was getting killed in EYBL. Like Amani Bates was not like an elite EYBL player his final year on the circuit. He did not dominate. He was not so like his team was terrible. He was not efficient. Like it was not. And again, a lot of that is just like shot selection and like the way he was like put in those positions. Like I think the idea that he would have just waltzed into EMU and like slightly improved his shot selection and become like an 18 point per game score at efficiency and like gotten drafted in the first round is. Again, it's a, it's a possible outcome, but it was not like a. By, it was by no means a guaranteed outcome. Well, no, so, he wouldn't be a first rounder because he's unathletic, and he's not very long. And he has dino arms. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Um. 
that's so what, one done. Do. One and done is the other thing that we need to touch on. Um, so Shams reported that um, the NBA's new CBA with the Players Association is expected to include a change to the league's age eligibility rule, dropping it from 19 to 18. Woj poured a little bit of cold water on that earlier today, basically saying it hadn't really been discussed. But I still think it's probably more likely than not, if Shams is reporting it, that this is something that will happen eventually. And Woj, Woj didn't even really pour water on the fact that it would happen. He just said that it hadn't really been discussed that much. Um, Which is exactly what he said about oh, the, the James Harden trade from the Nets to Philadelphia it hasn't been discussed much. And then like a day later, boom, he's traded. Either way. He, 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 uh, he's completely in the bag for his sources. So maybe I mean, one of the GMs. Yeah, did the only way you can do this, do the job at the level that Woj and Shams and Adam Schefter do it, is to be in the bag of sources. But agreed, Woj is like particularly notable. Um, implication of this, again, I mean, the the, the the like the top line read of it is, okay, the number one recruit in the class is probably not going to play college basketball. They're probably just going to go get drafted, right? Like Cade Cunningham, after wrecking through EYBL three years ago or whenever he wrecked three by EYBL um, would not come and play college basketball the next year. It would be very obvious after being averaging like 25, seven and five in EYBL, that he was too good. And then the NBA team would draft him with a top five to 10 pick and he would move on. Right. That is a loss for college basketball in the sense that having guys who are like mainstream elite prospects helps market the sport. But at the end of the day, right, like there are certainly years where that's the case. And certainly it helped college basketball this year to have Chet Holmgren, to have, you know, Paolo Bincaro. I don't know that Jabari was necessarily marketable, but I think Chet uh, and Paolo were, were, were marketable names that you could see on ESPN and say, oh, I want to watch that guy. He's the future. Um, so there's value in that and losing, you know, those two guys every year probably hurts. But I think the more notable thing from a college basketball standpoint is how it all impacts the way you want to build your rosters. Because, well, there's probably, you know, three to five kids that are going to be obvious none and duns, right? You're, you're, again, your Chet Holmgren's, your Paolo Bincaro's, your Kate Cunningham's, your Zion Williamson, right? Like a top three to five player in the class, that kid's probably saying, you're going to be in the draft, and you're probably not going to recruit that kid. Um, what's more interesting to me is the kids who are, you know, six through 30 in the class. And them being kind of added to the spring pre-draft pool. They're going to theoretically want to go through workouts. They're going to theoretically try to get combine advice. And so now all of a sudden, if you're Kentucky, right, do you recruit Kassan Wallace, the 10th best player in the class, knowing that on June 1st, he might just vanish from you and now you don't have a shooting guard? Or do you re-strategize, you recruit guys who are guaranteed college players, you know, that 40 to 70 range, right? Like, Here's a good example. Like, do you prioritize TJ Power instead of um, Sean Stewart, who's the top 10 recruit going to Duke at the, at the four? Or TJ Power instead of McKenzie and Baco? Because you see the value in having this guy who's going to be there instead of, you know, going through the process with Mbako and hoping that he makes it to college. Um, that's an obviously big implication. The other implication worth noting is that it would create a potential double draft in 2024. Um, 
So that means two classes of, you know, the best high school players, basically 23s, class and 24s would be in one draft, making that draft more crowded, making this year's draft a draft where if you're a 50-50 guy, you should stay in. But maybe that gets mitigated a little bit because the 2023 class is perceived as weaker. We shall see. So, again, I don't think this is like any by any means a death blow to college basketball. I don't think it's a great thing. I'm like Seth Davis wrote a column that it was a great thing. Uh, I, I disagree with that. I don't see how it can be a great thing for the sport to not have Chet Holmgren, to not have Zion Williamson, to not have Kate Cunningham. Um, but I certainly don't think it's a hugely harmful thing to the sport. Yeah, I would like to see the mental mental gymnastics that, that Seth did in, in, in that article. Um, I don't have the athletic or whatever. So I'm not, not going to read it. But you can't make a credible argument that no Paolo, no Chet, no Cade Cunningham is, is better, right? Like, it's not a huge deal. Like, Providence fans aren't going to stop watching Providence because Cason Wallace didn't go to Kentucky. Kentucky fans certainly aren't going to stop watching Kentucky if Cason Wallace spurns Kentucky. So it's just kind of, uh, kind of disappointing. It doesn't affect too much. People are already watching college basketball for the emotional attachment to their team. They're not watching it for the caliber of play, or else they'd be watching the NBA. But in terms of what college basketball can do to to, to counteract it, I mean, they, they did a great job implementing NIL to counteract the threat of both the G League and the G League Ignite and Overtime Elite um, to, to the point that Overtime Elite had to change their whole model and be basically like a prep school and offer these quote-unquote scholarships uh, where I'm sure the money is just being diverted a different way. Um, but so we, we don't know what, when the one and done is going to happen. It doesn't seem like it, it's going to be as early as Shams thought. I mean, Well, it has to to a certain extent because of it's when the CBA would get renegotiated. So it shouldn't change. It should it shouldn't be any different than like 24 or 25. Like it shouldn't. It, there's no chance. It would be surprising if it was later than 25. I mean, couldn't they put in the CBA that oh, it's going to start in 28? Right. But what's the what's the like the value add to that? Well, so Woj was saying that people traded draft picks already with the idea that there was no one and done. With the idea that I get of the, the 24 draft class, like people were planning for like 2024's draft to be weak, so they traded that, they value that asset. I mean, the draft are traded through like 2029. What are they going to do? Like make it 2030? That doesn't seem realistic. We'll see. But what, once upon a time, wasn't last draft supposed to be the the one that's going to have high school players? It was supposed to be 2022, yeah. yeah. No, and it, was, it was supposed to be, oh, that'll, be, that'll let Bronny go prep to pro. Now it's 2024, and then we'll see in a couple of years. That's true. It, it could kick down the line. But, but what college basketball can do, right there, it's great with the NIL. Why not just give everyone a fifth year of eligibility permanently? Like, it's so cool with the COVID year boosted the transfer portal. I mean, you have guys like Al Durham and this year, like, Caleb Daniels that are probably going to go from, like, role player to in their in their bonus year to be like a star i, I mean there, there are guys everywhere who are finding new opportunities making the most of it bettering college basketball let's just do 50 year for everybody 
And I think the one that's more, that's more, more, as I say, less, uh, less crazy or, or less out of the box is to let the, let people who go undrafted come back to college. If they want, obviously. Yeah. But like, like, let's, let's discuss, let's say, um, I don't know, uh, Kyle Filipowski or something says, okay, I'm going right out of high school. He goes undrafted. Let him come back to Duke. He can't enter the NBA draft again. So it is this weird kind of limbo where, like, if on the Champions Classic, Kyle Filipowski scores 42 points and 10 rebounds against Kansas, in theory, the Celtics could sign him as a free agent. Um, but, but that seems a little uh, unlikely that they would sign somebody out of college instead of out of, out of the AG League. But so then after his freshman year... Well, so, so, the, so there's, I think that could be counteracted because in baseball, that's not how it works. Like in baseball, like you can go through the draft multiple times. But there's like 40 rounds. Correct. But like, I don't, I don't see why you need to, like, like my, well, why, why couldn't you create a thing where like the player either gets declared a free agent or they because it can be reentered the next year. You know well, what I mean? That, well, that's up to the NBA. That's not up to college. Right. That's, that's an NBA. Well, yeah, that'd be an NBA role. So, so then, with college basketball. right? So then he, he he's a freshman at Duke. He's a free agent. After that season, he has to weigh. I mean, this, it's Duke. You could probably give him a sizable NIL package. And now, instead of college kind of being the unknown as to what will happen if I come back to school, it's the NBA that's the unknown. You're not in the draft. You're kind of in, in limbo. And if you're in a big program, you can keep feeding them NIL. I think I think the thing is like if you let it, it if you were to approach it that way only with the pool of players that we already have right like like the the normal draft pool of guys who are actually in the draft on draft night there probably wouldn't be more than like three kids who would actually go back to school but if you open it up like this you would have a lot more and I think that would be a problem because again I mean I'm, we're going to make it even later. Like, we're not going to know our roster on July 1st. Why not? I mean, how does how does that work? I mean, would you rather not know your roster and then potentially get your best player? Or would you rather know your roster and have it be not without the best player? Like, would, would Villanova rather have the possibility of having Cam Whitmore or just have no Cam Whitmore? Well, it's not Cam Whitmore or no Cam Whitmore. It's Cam Whitmore or another player you recruit instead of Cam Whitmore. And the later you go, right? Like, so if you're Kentucky, right, and you, and you have you know, your, your your signing class of you know Chris Livingston and Kassan Wallace, and we'll throw into this Nick Shaden Sharp. We'll just like pretend that he couldn't have done what he did this year. But we have Shaden, uh, Kassan, and Livingston. Okay, well, so Shaden, we're assuming is going to go pro. But maybe we've got a small chance of getting him back, and we find out, you know, May fifteenth. Okay, we're not getting him back. Then like Kassan and Livingston are like lean, are our 50-50 leans. So we're gonna go, we're gonna go through the whole draft. We're gonna wait for draft day, July, you know, June twenty second. And then when Kassan gets offered a free agent deal, and he says, "Ah, oh, screw it, I'll take it. I'll get my two way. I'll just get started." Uh, then Kentucky got a starter on July first. How is that healthy? 
right? Like, but we, it's we, all we, relative we, because currently they're out of a starter on May 27th or whatever it is. You're never going to get a player. The transfer portal's window now is going to end on like May 15th. So theoretically, but that doesn't players, mean that the good players are going to be in the portal, or that there is even a player that could compare to no. what Casey Wallace was. That's true. I just, I just don't think the solution to this is add another month of chaos. Like I don't see how that's fair, like fair to coaches or fair to like team building. It doesn't make sense. It's just. Well, I, I mean, it, it's it's a month later, but you get the chance to have a great play. Like, I, I don't see why they wouldn't want the opportunity to have their best player on the team, no matter how long it takes. There, there is no alternative. Like, if... Um, Let's say, I don't know. I mean, look, Duke, Duke, Duke went through the process this year with Trevor Keel. Then we got to get to the Big East, otherwise we're going to be here all night. Um, Duke went through the process with Trevor Keels, right? And they basically lined up a backup plan of A.J. Green. And, okay, like, we can maybe get A.J. Green if we lose Trevor Keels. Uh, and it didn't work out, and then they added Jake Brandison. That was still in, like a, like, a short sequence. That was really late, but it was still in, like, a short sequence where they recruited based on, like, uncertainty, and they had Tyrese Proctor lined up, right? Like, so now we're going to go through another month of that. We're going to get to July 1st. There's going to be even fewer players available to have these backup plans, these succession plans. You're going to be – you're it's just, just, so, the, so the draft is going to finish up, and you're immediately going to go on the road to recruit in July. For for the following year's class, we're still, not, we're still having a potentially open starter spot on your team for this year when classes have already started in the summer. What? Summer class has already started. You're already doing practice. You're already working. There's not a single person on the planet associated with Duke that would rather have Jacob Grandison than Trevor Keels, except for Grandison and his family. Of and you add not. Trevor Keels to this Duke team, they're on like a different level. But they're not waiting for but but they wouldn't but they couldn't have waited. Like if Trevor Keels was like, actually guys, I'll let you know on August fifteenth. They wouldn't like Duke wouldn't have just sat there and waited for Trevor Kills. They would have said, We gotta take Jacob Grandison at some point. We gotta take AJ Green at some point. We gotta take a player, because otherwise we're gonna stink. But there's no We're gonna go through summer you, practice without a without a shooting guard. Right, but you're anchoring out. you're anchoring these dates off the current system. But you're gonna make the but you're just making it worse. No, you're pushing closer to the season, but no, the but same you, things are happening. But the portal, but the portal. August fifteenth isn't August fifteenth anymore. August fifteenth is what's June fifteenth. But the portal, but the portal is going to be done, so the kids can enroll for summer class. People are not going to be in the portal after that. At least. Do you need? Do you need to pick a school, or do you just have to be in the portal? In the portal. But are you gonna sit around waiting for fall class? You're not gonna do summer. And teams just are we gonna abandon summer at the highest levels of college basketball? That's absurd. There, there, there has to be an end point to this at some point, right? Like, I, I, I agree that in, in theory, like opening that up as an option is, is, is interesting, but like the mass hysteria and chaos it would cause among the top 10 to 15 programs would be a re- devastating thing for college basketball planning. Devastating! It would oh be my horrible. god! It'd be as bad as Tyrese Hunter transferring. It would be bad for like your previews if you needed them in. To be published or something. What is uh, what's Lindy's gonna do if that happens? They're gonna be completely screwed. 
I mean, anyway. Um, CBB Central Podcast, where you heard it first, that we don't want the best players to come back if they're going to interfere with summer summer courses. The minute they they interfere with Psychology 101, it's game over. (laughs) Oh, man, I love you, Brad. All right, uh, let's do the Big East. Uh, The league is in, I think, pretty good health. Obviously, the big news of the offseason, Jay Wright, moving on. We will head on Villanova uh, first, because as we do with this podcast and how we're doing all these previews, we start in reverse, or we go in in order from finish from last year to this year. Um, So that means we will start start with with Villanova? I believe, unless someone else won the league that I'm forgetting. Oh, Providence won the league. That's right. Dude, the, the disrespect is just incredible. Okay then. Why don't we why don't we why don't we start with Providence, who technically won the league oh, because of their Ken Palm luck. Uh, but also, I mean, people say, okay, Providence had the three games COVID canceled. Number one, there's not a single person on this planet who would have rather watched Georgetown at Providence at five o'clock on a Thursday than would have wanted to watch UConn at Providence. It's just that's just inconceivable. Not a single person on the entire planet. Owen, whatever Georgetown, that game was just like just get, get it over with. And last season, the bit the the real COVID impact of no fan season, Villanova won the league playing less games than everybody else, and nobody cared because it's Villanova. So anyway, getting the Providence fanhood out of the way, um, it was an amazing year for Providence, right? I mean, um, regardless of how lucky they were, whatnot. It's indisputable that they were a really good basketball team. They were very connected. Um, Jared Bynum broke out in a way that I don't think anyone really anticipated. Um, the, yeah, you, know, you mentioned Al Durham. He had an unbelievable season. I think, again, better than anyone would have really expected. Uh, you go to the Sweet 16. Uh, that's a huge deal for this program. Ed Cooley gets another contract extension out of the deal. Uh, this sets things up very well for the future. And you see that with recruiting with guys like Max Fielder who committed this weekend. Guys like Garway Duall, who committed uh, earlier this summer. Uh, so Providence is very. Who, good who's Max Fielder? What's his name? Drew. Drew, whatever. Sorry, Max. Isn't Max Acemus? No, I think Max Fielder's like a or Max Fiedler was like a guy who played at like UMBC. I think that's the thing. Anyway, I was on the side. I, I saw the field of 68 said Max Acemus is the 25th best player in the country. People love Max Acemus. I don't. I didn't even have him in my top 100. I mean, he, he, he should be top 100, but he shouldn't be top. I mean, similar to Jalen Pickett, right? The, the, those guys, they, they went to the combine, and they were just, like, completely yeah, overmatched. Anyway, Providence, anyway. Brad. Uh, a, lot of new, a lot of new faces, obviously. It's a different group. Uh, they had to go to the portal hard with Noah Horkler, who was nearly a double-double guy last year, gone. Durham, gone. Nate Watson, their starting center from last season, gone. A.J. Reeves, huge piece, gone. Justin Naya, who was really the unsung hero of last year's team with his defense, gone as well. Um but the talent coming in is, is really, really solid. And, you know, Brad, I'm sure we'll have thoughts on these. We've talked about this team a good amount on this podcast. We don't need to do the huge rundown. But Noah Locke comes in from Louisville. He can make shots. Devin Carter has gotten a lot of buzz for his defense. But he averaged, like, nine points in 18 minutes a game at South Carolina as a freshman. Three years to play. That looks like a really good get. They had Bryce Hopkins as well from Kentucky. Another guy, three years to play. Top 40 recruit. Versatile, like, combo forward that you could see them use a lot of different things with uh and then Corey floyd from uconn and clifton moore 
uh, coming in from LaSalle, who both could contribute off the bench more uh, as that, um, you know, four or five good block shots, and Corey Floyd as a combo guard. They also bring in a freshman that they seem very excited about in Jaden Pierre. Um, I think on, the, on paper, Brad, I, I don't think it's unreasonable to say, and I'm sure you would probably argue this, that this is a more talented Providence team than last year's group, but expecting the same level of conference success, especially given the fact that they won so many close games last year, is probably not realistic, but they might be a better team overall. Yeah, I, the thing about last year's team was there was a lot of, like, one-dimensionalness. Right? Like, Nate, Nate Watson could score with his back to the basket, you know, could could offensive rebound. Horkler was, you know, pretty limited off the bounce. He could absolutely, you know, he shot the ball incredibly well. Could do a little in the post, you know. Manaya wasn't someone who could create his own shot. So it, it was very role-dependent. Role Everyone kind of had their, their, their role and all. It was perfectly optimized, though. Yes, which we, we didn't think it was going to be like that in, in the preseason because we didn't see Al Durham being like a legitimate point guard. I mean, like yeah, we viewed Al Durham as like a, like a shooting combo, and it said he became like the best penetrating guard I've ever seen. He got fouled like eight times. He got like eight, eight free throws a game. It was unbelievable. And then Bynum obviously was like, a, oh, I'm not going to turn it over. I'm going to stand here and dribble 10,000 times. And then he he transforms into like a scoring guard, knocking down threes. He's get, getting by people, going to the rim. Um, so yeah, it, it, it was weird because it, it, it was such a surprise last year. But it feels like last preseason, Providence was getting more credit than they are this preseason feels like last season people were like, all right, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll be on the bubble. They'll, like, just just miss a tournament or whatever. And now we're getting the same treatment from this Providence team after, I mean, they obviously had a great year. They're returning. Jared Bynum, a second-team all-biggies all, all player at, at the point guard spot. And they definitely have more, more talent, like, more versatility. Like, guys like Hopkins and Carter and Locke, should all be able to create their shots more than the guys who they're replacing. Like, like Hopkins is going to be a much better creator than Horkler. Locke's going to be a better creator than A.J. Reeves. Carter and Durham, you have an argument there, but is it just kind of I, – I don't really understand where the pessimism is coming from. You see a lot of, oh, they're losing five starters or five out of six or whatever, but, I mean, every team's losing that. We, we go through that every week on every team. Everyone loses their best players. That's what college basketball is. Yeah. So a few things here um, on Providence. We talked about this on the show before. Like, I do think that there's like a national miss on Ed Croswell, and I'll be the one to take the bullet here because I know if Brad says it, it's like oh, it's a Homer thing. Ed Croswell was like legitimately excellent last year. Excellent for what he was, right? Like Ed Croswell is by no means a superstar. Ed Croswell is not a guy you're going to throw the ball into the post for, like if you're Tonight Watson. They will miss that aspect of Watson. But there were times last year where Ed Croswell was actually more impactful for Providence than Watson was. And there's the reason why he was on the floor so much for Providence in key moments, because he's a really good rebounder. He's a good defender. He moved really, really well. They even played some big lineups with Watson and, and uh, Croswell together. He's a good piece. He is a very competent starting center in this league. Obviously, he's not a guy that you're going to look to for huge scoring numbers. In fact, it, it wouldn't actually surprise me if other than Oso Igadero. He's the lowest scoring center in this conference. Uh, but I, I, 
I don't think that is a weakness on this roster, the way that uh, some people might be perceiving it. And yes, it's a lot of turnover. It's going to take some time to match it all together, and I think that will be a challenge. But I do think that that's one of the things that is appealing about Providence's roster is there's a lot of guys that could hit, right? Like you're looking at and you're saying, okay, well, maybe Bryce Hopkins is going to immediately be kind of all conference. Maybe Devin Carter could be that. Maybe Noah Locke find, you know, finds again that group he was at Florida where he was a plus starter on a top you know, 30-ish team. Maybe this freshman Jaden Pierre really comes in and contributes. Maybe Corey Floyd contributes in a big way. He was a top 100 recruit. There's a lot of these guys. Uh, we, we tend to like these teams that have lots of options to kind of figure things out. And I think Providence is a nice balance between not absurd role allocation questions, right? For the most part, I think I see a pretty clear top nine forming. But also, you know, they also have a, a really nice mix of guys in terms of younger talent, older guys that you can count on that I think eliminate some of the downside risk that you might see with other teams. Yeah, first on Croswell, I mean, his game is not pretty. You're not going to throw throw to him with his back to the basket nearly as much as you did to Watson. But he's going to go. He's going to get offensive rebounds. He's going to be good at, as a role man, finisher on the rim, rebound, play good defense. And as we talk talk about a lot with these teams, the, 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 the ideal formation we think in college basketball is guards who can score, bigs who can defend. Um, and – Providence should 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 have a lot of that. I mean, maybe the X factor of this team could be Jaden Pierre, who getting a lot a lot of buzz for for positive play. He was in the 130s as a recruit, and now in, in most instances, if you come to me with oh three star freshman on my team is going to be really great, I'm I'm, I'm usually going to d- dismiss you. I. I I think if any other team did that, I think I would dismiss them. I remember this this is the one that will stick with me forever when West Virginia fans told me that Brandon Napper was going to be better than Javon Carter. Yes. So th- th- there are a lot of misses, but it seems from, from multiple different people, people inside and outside the program, that Jaden Pierre is, is, is really good and is going to play a huge role right away. And I think Noah Locke is being underrated because he's been so steady. His whole career hasn't improve much statistically but they really need a guy who can go out there and hit shots um and then devin carter and bryce hopkins i think are both being for the most part overlooked carter more so than hopkins hopkins people see the kentucky pedigree former top 50 recruit he's going to play he's going to score probably double figures but you mentioned i mean devin carter was a top 100 recruit who was all sec freshman team who produced averaged nine points a game I feel like most people in, in this scenario would view him as a 13, 14 point per game, high level biggie starter. And it, it, I've I've seen some people suggest he's going to come off the bench, which is just insane. Uh, people, for, for whatever reason, really dismissing him. Maybe it was because South Carolina was so out of sight, out of mind last year. But all, all indications are that Providence has like six or seven like really solid starting caliber players. Yeah, I mean, again, I said it. I think I alluded to it at the beginning when I was talking about Providence. Then we'll move on. I, I Providence 28th in the 28th nationally, fifth in the Big East. Um, if Devin Carter is actually this like elite defender that everyone keeps saying he is, like the reports every time you get the reports on Providence from people who like went to practice, it's like, oh wow, Devin Carter looks amazing on defense. Well, Devin Carter is an elite defensive player 
who also averaged nine points a game, not inefficiently in the SEC as a freshman. Devin Carter's going to like like be a player of the year candidate in this league at some point. Maybe not this year, but at some point, if you are a elite defensive player and you can score at the level he scored, which was again nine points per game in 18.7 minutes at 42% shooting with four rebounds and two assists and a basically one-to-one assist to turnover ratio, that's pretty scary, right? Like, I mean, even like if you look in conference play, his his numbers are the same. I mean, his com- it, it, if anything, it got better because he shot the ball better from three. You know, he, he his his numbers were steady in conference play in terms of the per 40s. So. I think you have to feel pretty interest, intrigued about what Devin Carter can bring to the table long-term. Absolutely. I have him, I have him in, in the top 25. I have him fourth in the Big East. Fair enough. We're probably a high high on Providence podcast. That I, I mean, anyone who doesn't have him in, in, in the top 40, I mean, like, I don't get it. I mean, Rothstein has him 44th. Three-man weave didn't have him in, in, in their top 40. I saw uh, Zach Brazilier, the St. John's writer, said that Providence shouldn't be in the top five of the Big East. I, I can't. The argument for them I not can't. being is, it is, well, they were 32nd last year, and they lose everybody. And they should be worse than that. But, like, they don't need to be worse than that in Ken Palm, right? Like, they were, I don't think, I don't, like, you don't expect them to win 27 games this year, Brad. No, if I have them... I, I think 21st, you figure they probably go 12 and 8, 13 and 7 at best in, in, in the Big East coming in fourth place. Yeah. So like a 23 win team. 22 to 23 wins. Yeah. All right. That's Providence. Next team up is Villanova, who we, we teased earlier. Villanova changes coach, loses the Hall of Famer Jay Wright to retirement. Um, We've talked about this before. Maybe a sh- certainly a shock externally. It sounds like internally it was not as big a shock, knowing how Jay had spoken in the past. Um, Jay wanted the succession plan in place. Eventually, Villanova conceded and let him do that, and hence we wind up with Kyle Neptune, new head coach, who did an admirable job in year one at Fordham as a head coach, certainly was a key part of the Villanova staff before leaving for Fordham. Uh, and did a really, really nice job recruiting, but also in player development and things like that. It, it was regarded, even before leaving for Fordham, as one of the you know up-and-comers in this industry. Now, that being said, Jay's tree has really struggled. I mean, if you go through Jay Wright's coaching tree, you have Pat Chambers, Baker Dunleavy, Ash Howard, uh, Kyle Neptune. Uh, there's one or two others. And, like, that is not exactly a murderer's row of coaches that he has produced. Uh, and Neptune really is the only one that you show. Look, you look at and see success. He had one 500 year at Florida. Like, let's not act like that was. You know, that was his only year. Before. I mean, right. That's not. But that's like my, my point is that like it, it, this is still not a proven commodity that we're hiring here. It is a risk, just like the Hubert Davis hire, just like the John Shire hire, at a, a really big job. Now Neptune is very fortunate, and I think in some ways you can compare this situation to what Drew Valentine walked into at Loyola. He inherits two extremely, you know, two fifth-year guys in Brandon Slater and uh, Caleb Daniels, as well as a fourth-year guy in Eric Dixon, um, third-year player, fourth-year in the program in Dixon. So the experience factor of those three guys are a huge benefit to Neptune and why I think this team does have a, 
a, a chance of winning this conference and, and topping Creighton, who is everyone's favorite. Um, but the, the question marks lie um, in, in the point guard play and in the status of Justin Moore, who's coming off the Achilles injury uh, in the NCAA tournament. I told John Fanta the other day um, on Twitter, or they did an interview and John tweeted it out, shout out to Fanta, um, that he is hoping to come back for early Big East play, which would be around the new year. That's an eight to nine month recovery time, which is fast for an Achilles, but not superhuman. Um, what you get out of Justin Moore once he's back, that's its own question. But if he is back, he'd be the preseason player of the year in this league. I don't think that's jumping the gun here. If he was a fully healthy Justin Moore, like forget the injury happened, is the preseason player of the year in this conference. So obviously a big deal if he could come back. And they also have Cam Whitmore on the wing um, to join him and Caleb Daniels, uh, who is a top 20 recruit and a guy that was, you know, really shined over the summer uh, at USA Basketball. So uh, that we, the, the, the team looks great everywhere except maybe one question on the wing if they get more back, and then the point guard spot where the options appear to be Mark Armstrong, a freshman top 60 recruit, and Chris Archidiakno, who's been in the program, is steady. We also use Angelo Brizzi, uh, who is a redshirted last year. It doesn't sound like he's in the mix really to start, but theoretically he's an option. As well as Brendan Housen, who's a freshman. Again, probably not ready to go right away, but a longer-term piece there at point. So um, certainly the talent there, um, certainly experience there, which helps. Uh, but you have the question of point guard, and you have the question of what are you getting if and when you get Justin Moore. All right. My thoughts. We'll start. I, I think Caleb Daniels is a sixth-year guy, which is awesome. Correct. We, we yes. need more sixth-year guys. We need Russell Harrison, the seventh-year guy. Send him back to Oklahoma State. Um, secondly, I I think people are overrating the point guard. I mean, Mark Armstrong, I think, will be fine. I think he'll have, like, a Tyrese Hunter-level season. I mean, he was the starter of the U18 team. Which, which to me means something. Historically, the guys who have started have been like really good NBA players. It's not really even how they play because the competition is so lopsided. But the fact of getting chosen to try out for the team, that means something. Making the team means a lot. And I think starting means, means a ton. I think, I think Armstrong is going to be good this year. Um, rounding out the roster, I mean, yeah, super experienced with Daniel Slater and Dixon. They've They've been around forever. I think I think Daniels makes a jump. I think he'll be like a legit leading scorer, 14, 15 point per game guy, go-to offense. I mean, he thrived as like that third option on offense next to Morin, Colin Gillespie. I think he's in for a huge year. He, he can score at all three levels. He's tough. He's physical. Shoots the ball well. I'm I'm totally in there. Slater, I hope he can make a Offensive improvement, he did early last season, and then I think confidence got to him, uh, and, and that, that shot was never the same. The offensive production was never the same, and in, in, in the tournament, he was basically just a glue guy, which he he makes for a great glue guy with his size and athleticism, but I, th- I, I think there's like an... glue guys in the country. Yeah, I think, I think there's an eight or nine point per game score in him, which I think is what Villanova needs from him. And then Dixon made a huge jump last year. I, I think he can make another jump and be one of the best bigs in the country, um, especially down the stretch. He was really hitting jumpers from 
from the beyond the arc, and he wasn't. He, he was turning down a lot too. I, I I think they should let let him loose, let him shoot more jumpers, run uh, more more offense through him. I'm 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 very bullish on Dixon this year. And then Whitmore is one of the few one and done caliber players in recent memory in the Big East. Uh, you know, he's he's no Henry Ellenson. He is super modern. He's athletic. He can play multiple positions. I think he's going to be great as well. And then their their bench look, looks like a weakness. Um, for and then for for the record, I'm I am excluding Justin Moore from my brain. Even if he comes back, we've seen with a Cook, Cook, we've seen with Alan Flanagan. These these Achilles guys, they 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 need some time to kind of regain their footing. I'm I'm very in on Justin Moore for for the 23-24 season to be the best player on Villanova though. Um, but the, the bench, I mean, the, seemed like internally they were raving about Jordan La, Jordan Longino toward the end of the year. Felt like they were trying to force feed him some minutes. He was also a top 50 recruit. We'll see if he can. I think I think he should be a fine sixth man. Um, and this bench is littered with a few other guys who were pretty highly regarded. Patterson, Njoku as well. I don't know if that Archidiakono thing was a Jay Wright thing or, or not. Um, I don't know how much we'll see him. I think I think Brizzy might be the backup point guard. He registered last year. Lefty, I think he can shoot it. Um, but I I. If if you couldn't tell from from the breakdown, I'm totally in on 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 this Villanova team. I think people are writing off Kyle Neptune harshly, m- more harshly than they are with Shire or, or Hubert Davis or any of these recent kind of guys stepping into the new you know, stepping up to the head coach seat. I think Villanova slightly edges out Creighton and wins this league. Takes from Brad. No Justin Moore, and they win the league anyway. I like this mix. They have athleticism. They have versatility. They have scoring. I want to say, like, a few things just to kind of piggyback of you and then give my thoughts where I stand. I think you're generally right about Armstrong. I think my concern is more so, like, Villanova has always won when they've been old at point guard. Um and they're not old at point guard right now, and they don't have the, like, point guard or guard generally whisperer in Jay Wright around, right? Like, there is a legitimate bump in, like, the level of play that they've got. And even from Phil Booth to, you know, obviously Brunson and Gillespie, right? Like, like sophomore starting point guard Colin Gillespie was nowhere near as good as senior starting point guard Colin Gillespie. Like, Colin Gillespie started... Uh, sort of as, you know, Colin Gillespie was the point guard for Villanova in 2018-19. They went 13-5 and in the league and got a, what, they, were, they got a five six seed, seed, I think. Six seed. Six seed. Right. And that team had Phil Booth, who was a good player, Eric Paschal, who's a first-round, or was a, was a draft pick, Sadiq Bey, who's a freshman one year away from being a draft pick, Jermaine Samuels, who's obviously a very good player. They had, you know, Cole Swider and Javon Quinterly, those are blasts. That's unbelievable. They had Joe Cremo on that team. Like Joe Cremo. Like I, I don't think this. I think this team has a little bit more athleticism than that group. But like Gillespie, freshman point guard, splitting the ball, handling with Booth, only produced like a six seed. And I think it's like worth noting that when you start thinking about 
how does a freshman Mark Armstrong work? Now, again, I think generally this is athletic rosters you've ever seen with Villanova. Slater's an elite athlete. Uh, Whitmore's a really good athlete. Armstrong will be an upgrade at the, at the from an athleticism standpoint of point guard. I just wonder about that. And like, I said, like you said with Moore, you really wonder about his ability to really impact winning. Yeah, Alan Fleming is a really good example of it because of the struggles he had coming back, similar timeline. Uh, I guess Fleming was maybe a little bit earlier. Like I think he got hurt in the summer, but clearly was not himself uh, when he did return. And it was le- less of a severe tear in the Achilles, as I recall. So um, obviously we hope he can come back and contribute, but I don't think it's a guarantee. Because of that uncertainty and the freshman point guard and the new coach, I went with him second in the league and 13th now. Cool. Who who is next? Is it UConn? Um, 99% sure it is. Let me just confirm so we don't go out of order. Very important we keep our order here on the podcast. Yeah, so U- UConn is next. They went 13 and 6 in the league. Uh, really good year, quite frankly, until the NCAA tournament when they lose in the first round and to New Mexico State and blow a lot of their goodwill. Um, this is a team that was built to play physical, kind of rough house down low and battle with you on the board and that really fit yeah Hurley and that's who he is as a coach stylistically I, I don't think that's something that they're going to necessarily totally get away from but I think you do see a clear shift in this roster construction this season to be much more versatile much more um, shooting oriented much more spacing oriented um, lose RJ Cole lose Tyrese Martin reshape this backcourt uh, and instead of playing two bigs a lot with guys like Isaiah Whaley and Sonogo together, you know, Whaley space it a little bit, but certainly was not a, a huge threat from beyond the arc. Uh, instead, it looks like they're going to be able to play smaller uh, with a guy like Andre Jackson at the floor, is one of the more versatile players in college basketball. In comes Tristan Newton from East Carolina. He looks like the starting point guard. In comes uh, Nahima Lean from Virginia Tech. He's a really good shooter. Uh, and then you have the breakout candidate in Jordan Hawkins. The talent level here is great. Um, Hurley does a great job in recruiting. The, you know, the the top nine here is just incredibly talented uh, with guys like, you know, pretty, pretty heavily was the top 100 recruit. Guys were very, very highly touted. Um, you've got athleticism, you've got versatility. Uh, this is a, a team that on paper to me looks like a top 25 team with a centerpiece in Sonogo, with talented guards, with versatility, and with overall talent. And I think this team checks a lot of boxes. Yeah, this is this is another team that I'm. I I don't get the pessimism here. Now I I liked UConn's makeup last year. I liked that super physical front line. I mean, they they were so athletic. They were so tough with Jackson and, and Martin on the wings. Um, and this is a different look. But I suspect that's not why people aren't ranking UConn. Is that they preferred their bulkier, tougher two through five. I, I can't really put put my finger on it. I'm I'm very high on UConn. I'm third in the conference, 14th nationally. I don't feel great about the 14th, but there just wasn't wasn't a great candidate for me to start. What was my third tier? But as long as Newton and people seem to really like Newton as like a borderline NBA prospect. He had a huge year at East Carolina. People I like. Much, I would be temporary on that, but yeah. I, I mean, people are pretty sure of Hawkins and, and Jackson as like potential NBA guys. Yes. Hawkins as a freshman last year showed flashes, uh, but 
he can really shoot it. He he can score. Great size. He's he's one of the poster poster child poster children for a sophomore leap. Jackson's just like a super fun glue guy who has like a little bit more offensive game in him. I think the shooting has got to get better. I think the percentages were okay, but it's just not not a great shooter. A lot of those were wide open. But he is he's fun. He's explosive. Super athletic. He can defend all these positions. He can handle the ball. Great passer. And then that fifth starter spot, whether it's like a proven shooting glue guy like Naheem Aline or the stretch four in Caravan or if they stick with the bigger lineup of Samson Johnson. I, I think that is certainly top 25 talent. I mean, I don't. I don't see how you can have some of these other teams. I mean, th- th- that that team is definitely more talented than, than Providence or Xavier. Um, I don't I don't get what people are missing here with UConn. I mean, it feels similar to, to last season even, where people said, "Oh, UConn can't be top 25." They lost James Booknight. Well, th- well, they were top 25, and they say, "Well, they can't be top 25." They lost RJ Cole and Tyrese Martin. But it's college basketball. Everybody's losing their best players. Well, and also, Tyrese Martin was not even an All-Big East player, which was absurd. But, like, that was just like, oh, like, Tyrese Martin's a like, gigantic yeah. loss, and then not vote him to an All-Big East team. That was just semantics. I mean, like, he was good enough, but there were, there were too many guys from the spots. Right, but, but my point is that if, you, if your argument is that Tyrese Martin is so irreplaceable because he was an NBA, he's an NBA player that, you know, you can't, Rank UConn. Well, the, the easy count of that is well, they weren't. He wasn't even on all the conference teams. So I have them. Where do I have them national? I have them 19th. I don't know where you have them, Brad. 14. 14. You said that. Sorry. Um, but I think it's high, higher than I would probably go, just because you have some questions at the point guard spot. Newton's really more of a combo. Um, and and I I do also think that you know. Sunogo had some injury issues last year to those really ugly head again. He was on the floor a lot, but, you know, was was often banged up, and I do worry about that a little bit. They're a little thin in the backcourt once you go through these. You know, four, they basically have five competent guards in, like, oh, crap mode, basically. I wish they had one more, but, I mean, that's, that's splitting hairs here. I think at the end of the day, it's more so a question for me of, do you actually get this Jordan Hawkins explosion? Do you actually get legit high major point guard Tristan Newton? I think there's enough question there for me to keep him not going, not pushing up against the top 10, but keeping him more towards you know, 15 or 20. And I mean, people saying it's the year of the big. Adama Sinogo last year in conference play, 15 and 10 with two blocks as a, as a reclassified sophomore. He's a beast. I don't think a lot, a lot of people realize just how good he is. And he's just 20 years old. He doesn't turn 21 until uh, February. So this is not the case of a kid who, uh, you know, is super, you know, old for his class and reclassified and whatnot. Like, Adama Sonogo is still very much developing, still very much getting better, still has a chance to be very, very good. Um, I mean, look, like, at the end of the day, like, I do think there are probably some limitations with Hurley stylistically. Like, I'm not sure that he's the type of coach that's going to build top 10 teams just because 
they do there are teams that generally struggle in the half court they are teams that run a little bit hot and cold with their head coach um, they aren't great shooting teams but they're going to dominate in the last they're very high floor i'm not sure they quite get the kelvin sampson level but i think you do see a kind of similar footprint uh and i, I do think that you have to feel really good that this is going to be a tough one. Well, I mean, I, I think to solve those half-court issues, I think that, that was the impetus of you know, maybe starting the Himalayan or, or at Alex Caravan instead of going out and getting a, another version of Isaiah Whaley. Right? That's fair. Get, get the shooting in there, get the floor spacing instead of another athletic guy who's going to help your defense and rebounding but kind of bog down your offense. Yep, that's a good point. All right, on to Creighton. Creighton went 12 and 7 in the league last year, 23 and 12 overall. Those have to be considered huge wins, considering what they had last year coming in so young. And again, we talked about it at length in the offseason. There was optimism about Creighton. There was long-term optimism, certainly. But this team was going to be freshman Kaluma, freshman Nembhard, freshman Alexander, freshman Rati, uh, you know, with Hawkins, O'Connell, and then a sophomore in Kalkrenner who hadn't even played that much as a freshman. And, you know, getting to the NCAA tournament was going to be success. They did that. They won a game. They did that despite Nemhard going down with an injury. They competed with national champion Kansas despite Hulkbrenner going down with an injury. And now they run it back. They had an elite transfer in Baylor Shireman. They bring in Farabello, who should help them in the backcourt. Sharif Mitchell gets healthy. He should help them in the backcourt. The top nine here is really, really talented. Um, and I think um, – the experience that these guys got last year being thrust into the fire is so valuable. I mean, the reps that Dembhard got last year in the Big East, he's going to be ready for the, you know, the beating that he will take. Trey Alexander, the opportunity he got to play point guard in the NCAA tournament against the eventual national champion and look the part. That's really, really powerful. Kaluma's on everybody's list as a guy who should break out. And Kalkbrenner, before his injury, and Jim Root tweeted about this in the offseason. Ryan Kalkbrenner was unreal last year before his injury. Ryan Kalkbrenner in the final, like, 10 games. Let me, let me just pull the stat here. So before, before the Kansas game, so this is the game he goes down in San Diego State. Game MVP against San Diego State. Game MVP in the Big East tournament against Villanova. Game MVP against Providence. Three straight. Four straight game against Marquette in the Big East tournament. Five straight against Seton Hall. He won six straight Kempom game MVPs. And then the two games in between that, before him becoming a game MVP again against Marquette on the 20th, he had 19.7 rebounds against St. John's in a win. And he had 13 points, nine rebounds, and three blocks against Providence in a game they got blown out in. But nevertheless, Puck Runner was really, really special down a stretch and should, again, be one of these guys considered one of the best big men in college basketball. Yeah, I think Calvin Brenner is the best player in the conference. Um, so last, uh, so he he's not very flashy, but he's a good role man. He's a great lob target. He blocks shots. You're not, throw, hits, you're not throwing him on the block, bounce, bounce over either shoulder. It's he can do a little bit of that, but right. But that's the Creighton's primary offense is not going to be playing through the post. No, it's going to be a screen and roll with him and Nimhart or him and Shireman or him and Alexander. They have all these different options now to handle the ball, which they did not have last year. Yes. Um, and then he's just going to be throwing down lobs. Yep. Just, Elite offensive rebounder, extremely efficient, 
Good block shot, shots, hits free throws. Gets the free throw and makes them, yeah, like you said. Yeah. 74%, that's huge. In a conference play last year, 13 points a game, eight rebounds, three blocks, 78% from the free throw line. Monster. And the big misconception about Creighton is because previously it was always offense, offense, offense. Ethan Rocky at center, Dougie McBuckets, they're firing threes. Last year, it, it was all defense because they were as athletic as, they, as they'd ever been. They were as, probably as young as they'd ever been. Um, and, th- and they were playing big, right? So you obviously had Cal Benner in the back. You were playing Kaluma and Hawkins together, who were both four men. You were, so you were playing two four men and a, a center. And then you had Alex O'Connell with the two, who was not a great shot creator. Probably was a little better than, than get, giving credit for. Um, so you, most of the time you had one ball handler out there. You didn't have a ton of guys who, who could create their own shot, and it really bogged down the offense, but a lot of pressure on them hard. But as you mentioned, Alexander thrived down the stretch. Shireman can create and handle the ball. Nemhard in, in, in year two. Kaluma made a huge jump toward the end of the year. And so, so he's, he's in for a NBA prospect style of season in, in year two. And, and their bench is interesting. Their bench is kind of more of a bullpenny bench. Like if they rolled out the second unit, I think they'd get crushed by everybody in, in the Big East. Yes. But but the pieces you can you can fit in, um, and, and complement these these five really good players. Each of, each of them look like a competent role player. Mason Miller is a shooter. Farabello is a steady ball handler. And Mitchell great is a shooter. defender, and Frederick King is a call call runner backup. Yeah, yeah. Far, Farabello was a really underrated piece because you know he only averaged like five points a game or whatever at TCU, but he can play a couple different positions. He can handle the ball, and he he. He shoots the ball extremely well. And the fact that you're two and your three are Alexander and Shireman who could both dish, that really helps with having bringing in backup point guards because you're not asking them to go create a bunch of shots. And I, I know Miller and Christophilus are known as really good shooters. I'm pretty sure Schultzberg is as well. Sharif Mitchell's back as like a defensive option. Fr- Frederick King, top, top 100-ish recruit to be the backup center. There's... There's a lot to like here. Yeah. Mostly, it's 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 the five stars. I mean, this is a really good starting five. One of the best in the country. Yep. Um, everything you need is in this lineup. All the shooting, creation, defense, it's all here. I I'm I'm really into Creighton this year. I, I have them eighth nationally and second, just one spot behind Villanova. I also have them eighth nationally. Um, just a few kind of closing thoughts on them before we move on. Uh, I think nationally, Charman got overrated because he was, oh, the best transfer in Chicago's history. Like, we talked about this in the podcast at the time. Watch the G League League camp tape. Like, Baylor Charman was one of the f- probably three worst players there who weren't on gift invites. So, right, like Sharif O'Neal, um, the Miak and Swack kids who are part, they're part of the NBA's pilot program, um, the kid from Australia, who I forget his name, he actually got drafted. Oh, from Israel? The. No, like his name's like Luke Travers. He got drafted as like a draft and stuff. Oh, yeah. He's terrible. But like other than those guys, oh yeah, well Ryan, uh, the kid from Yeshiva, um, he was there. That was why Travers was there was because the kid from Yeshiva was injured. Um, like other than those guys, Charman might have been the worst player there. So he is not like a oh my gosh, this guy's gonna win Big East Player of the Year. This guy's gonna be the best player. But they don't need him to be. 
Like, he can be their third-best guard, and that's still like a, a good outcome for Creighton because he's another guy who can move the ball and make shots and help their, help their flow offensively. So, I, again, I, I think if you're buying this team as, like, a top-five-ish team, which I know a lot of people have kind of pumped the brakes on, it's because you believe this offense takes a huge jump with these guys getting older, with an elite, efficient option at center and Kalkbrenner, and Kaluma becoming that clear number one scoring option. I think you can hedge that a little bit, put them eighth like we did. Uh, I think that feels, feels a little more comfortable for me, but the ceiling is super, super high with this crazy group, no question. Yeah, Shireman's going to come in, hit hit some threes, make some nice passes, hold his own defensively, not be too horrendous. Yeah. And they should be fine. Headband, baby. Headband. All right, next up, Seton Hall. Seton Hall, coaching change. Kevin Willard out, Shaheen Holloway in. If you had told me that in the preseason of last year that was happening, I would have said that's probably like a downgrade in coaching, but like, you know, that's a fine hire that was always kind of seen as possible. Um, after last year, though, I think the general kind of national consensus is that this is like a significant upgrade. And I want to caution people on that because as good as Shaquille Holloway was in the NCAA tournament. That was a small sample size. He was very good in the MAC. He did a nice job at St. Peter's, but he was not God's gift to coaching. He was not, oh my gosh, this guy is coaching everyone, coaching circles around the rest of the MAC. He was doing a fine job building a program where it's very difficult to win. And Kevin Willard did an unbelievable job at Seton Hall. He, he was excellent. And he was excellent with Shaheen Holloway by his side, getting guys like Isaiah Whitehead. But he was also excellent once Shaheen left. And he built very good teams. Including last, <clears throat> at points, last year's team was very, very good. Didn't quite all come together. They fall off a cliff late. They get, you know, bounced, trounced really in the NCAA tournament. It made it feel like it was time for a change. But we shouldn't discount what Kevin Miller did uh, for, for this program. Now, looking ahead of this year, uh, new faces here. Femi Odakale, transfer from Pitt. He will be in the mix in the, mix in the backcourt. Alamir Dawes from Clemson, scoring guard. He will be in the mix in the backcourt. They bring back guys like Kadari Richmond, Alexis Yetna, and Tyree Samuel. Uh, and, and then the other big newcomer is Casey Nadefo, uh, who comes in from St. Peter's following Holloway, the defensive ace. Uh, he and Dre Davis, who comes in from Louisville, should be impactful in, in, in those versatile front court spots. So this is a talented group, new coach, going to take on Shaquin's identity. They're going to be very physical. They're going to be defense first. I think the question I have with them is, how consistent is the offense with no, I think, true, like, number one shot creator um, and kind of these three combo guards who've all run hot and cold. That's the biggest thing for me. Yeah, I think this is going to be a good Seton Hall team. They'll be, like, a bubble team, maybe, like, a little bit better. The, the, the biggest question is, like, who who's their best player? Can Kadari Richmond be the best player on a good team? Or can out Alamir Dawes or Ken Trey Jackson. Um, it's they have like a really good top nine and kind of the opposite of Creighton's bench. If Seton Hall rolled out their bench unit, I think they would probably be solid. It probably be okay. I mean, Jimmy Harris can really hit shots. The Big East on paper. I think it's the best in the Big East on paper. Probably. I got to think about it a little, little bit more. But I'm just um, staring at it on my depth charts and like looking at their four. I'm like, okay, like this has like shooting and like versatility and athleticism. Like, yeah, it works. Yeah. Harris is good. He can hit shots. Yetna had had a good year last year. Takes 
too many jumpers, but when when he's inside and getting offensive rebounds and playing around the rim, he's he's really good. You know, this team really fell apart once Bryce Aiken got hurt, he had a concussion early in Big East play and then missed the rest of the year. They have really struggled to adapt. Um, this year, the defense should be really good. They have a lot of size, a lot of athleticism. I like Kadari Richmond. I don't really love him as the best player on your team. I think it probably him, Dawes, and Jackson's a solid top three, but really going to keep them in, in the middle of the pack, I think. Yeah, that, that's my concern, right? Like Otakale, for instance, like he was a guy that was a big breakout candidate for last year, partially because of desperation at Pitt. Like it was known he was going to be needed. And he did step up. He had a good year. But it did seem like, you know, the pulse of the Pitt fans and the pulse of, like, generally people who are watching more Pitt than I was, was it was like, okay, Femi's dribbling way too much. Femi's not really a shooter. Like, Femi's not super efficient. Femi turns the ball over. Like, this is not a guy that's, like, a cornerstone piece to a winning basketball team. And the stats reflect that. You know, it was it took him nine shots a game to get ten and a half points. His turnover rate was too high. He shot under 40% from the field. He shot under 65% at the free throw line. Like, that's a concern. And you, you're, you're going to combine that with, we mentioned Richmond, very very hot and cold, very frustrating player. And then Alamir Dawes, who has not really gotten better in his college career. He's been the same guy. So the offensive inconsistency, I think, is the thing that holds him back. But they should, on paper, be very good defensively. And with Shaheen coaching them, I think that's a bump because – they're going to be very, very physical. They're going to be very well coached, well, very well schooled on that end of the floor. Uh, and I think that they have the personnel because Richmond and Otakale are very long. Dawes is a thicker guard. And then they have all these bigger guys who can move, right, whether it's Davis and Nadefo and Getna or big, a truer big like Trey Jackson. Even Joe Jackson, I don't think it's going to be an elite defender. Same with Tyree Samuel. They'll be good enough. But I think this team has a chance to be very, very tough to score on. I think that's Seton Hall's path being really good this year. And then, sorry, where did you have them in the Big East and nationally? Sixth in the Big East. Me too. Thirty-seventh uh, national. I think I had them thirty-nine. So we're right in the same spot. That brings us to our next team from last year's standings, which is Marquette. This was a good, a winning year for Marquette, no question. Tournament in year one under Shaka after. The Seaboard House Sierra came to a unceremonious ending. This was a very new look roster without a ton of expectation uh, and certainly exceeded those. Didn't finish very strong, certainly ended with a very bad taste in their mouth, getting beat by 32 in the NCAA tournament by North Carolina. And it's going to be a very different looking team because the two centerpieces of this group, Justin Lewis and Daryl Morsell, both gone. Lewis with eligibility remaining. He headed to the draft, went undrafted. That's a loss. Uh, but I do think that Shaka showed a style of play that he wants to play. Showed it did a good job of kind of incorporating all of the new pieces into place. And I think one big selling point with this group is they have, you know, established guys that they can put into these roles. Tyler Kolek will be back at the point. Cam Jones played a lot last year. Uh, Igadero played a good amount last year. Omax Prosper played a lot. So those four guys are your kind of returning cornerstones and then you're hoping for internal development from not only them but guys like Stevie Mitchell and David Joplin who are on the fringe of the rotation. Yeah, I 
I think Marquette's being a little overlooked. I mean, they they have a lot of guys coming back, a lot of very young guys coming back. And Kolak and Omax, because of that COVID year, you you could even include them as, as, as freshmen last year. I think that this team is missing like a maybe a Daryl Morsell or maybe someone who could score it a little bit more. I think that's 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 like the big hole in that team. And now maybe Stevie Mitchell takes a jump. He was someone in, at a high school known as a scoring guard. Ken Jones shot the lights out last year. You know maybe with more run he he could uh, he could take a jump. But it seems like the the two big breakout candidates are. Omax and then Igadaro. Omax last year started at the three, which was surprising. He he's more of a natural four, but he's very long, very athletic. Feels like Shaq is very high on him because he was, you know, starting him up a position last year. Can, can shoot a little bit. Think he, he's he's certainly a candidate who who could break out. Just needs a little more ball skills. And then Igadaro. Um, who was behind Kirk Queth last year. Very different player. They're, they're both very good athletes, but Igadaro is someone who can think he's he think his big skill is like his passing and his versatility, uh, whereas Queth was a shot blocker. I'm not sure what he is as a scorer. I guess we'll see this year. Um, and then their big weakness last year re- was, was rebounding, so they went out and grabbed Zach Reitzel from NAIA, who was supposed to be kind of a junkyard dog on the glass. The overall talent level might be a little low. I know that they're very high on, on Ben Gold, too, from New Zealand. The reason why I'm relatively optimistic, I think that they'll be right in the mix for the tournament. A lot of continuity, a lot of youth from last year, and I, and I think these prospects are pretty good. I'm just worried about kind of their lack of a best player, lack of a leading scorer. Yeah, I think Zach Reitzel is an interesting piece for them. I was surprised Marquette didn't do more on the portal, weren't a little bit more aggressive going out, potentially getting a big man, potentially getting another guy who could score. Reitzel, though, you know, obviously he's not a Division one player. We've, we've seen a lot of success with the D2 market. He's an NIA, NAIA player. That's a very high level of basketball, though. Like, the NIA national champion is going to be a very good team, but would beat a lot of Division ones. Um, they sent another player, Division one to Ole Miss. I think they sent a third to a non-Power 5 team. So, obviously, like, coaches very much respected – the level that they were coming from. Uh, and I do think that that's like pretty interesting. And I, 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 that's why I wouldn't count him out. I think he'll be in the rotation. I don't think you're gonna be able to count on him to score a lot, but it seems like he's able to pat like a good passer, um, very like versatile, like playmaking kind of forward. And so I'm just curious how he's used. I, th- I think Shaka kind of built this thing very VCUS. We talked about it last year, like stylistically how they were playing but didn't go crazy trying to like flip it. It's like, okay, we're going to develop guys. We're going to trust like the Cam Jones and the Stevie Mitchell of the world to get better. We're going to trust Kolek to become a more efficient offensive player. I, I just, I, I still worry how they're going to score, right? Like best scoring option being Cam Jones is like exceedingly concerning to me. Like compared to every other roster on this team, in this league. And really in high major basketball, I don't think there's many teams that have a more shaky kind of top scoring option than him. And I think that's, that's a real issue. So um, that's the thing that holds me back. I have Marquette nationally, I think in the 60s. Yeah, I'm 62, ninth in the Big East. Um, 
I don't know where that you you have them. So that's probably that's like solidly on it. I don't know where you stand on Brad. I have them seventh, and I have them like just sneaking into the field. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I think I I, I think Omax will be the leading scorer. You love Omax, Brad. There there's no one on planet Earth like Olivier Maxson's prosperous parents don't think as highly of him as Brad does. The guys who are like clearly power forwards, but they make them play small forward. They're I mean, always in for something big. That was Arthur Kaluma. Lewis was kind of playing the three last year. They're splitting. It's combo forwards. I think Omax was guarding the threes, but a Marquette yes. fan could probably could probably correct me. But. I think it depended. So anyway, that's Marquette. Um, brings us to our next team on the list in the Big East. Which Place. is Xavier. Oh, Xavier. Xavier, 23 and 11 last year, 23 and 13, excuse me, won the NIT, um, but fell apart. A late in conference play, gave away a spot in the NCAA tournament. For the third the straight year. Field. Impossibly bad that the hell they finished. Inexplicable with the talent that they had on the roster. For the third straight tournament. year. Yes. What we, we talked about it with the first year coaching discussion a month or so ago on the podcast, maybe a little bit more, but like it should really say something really, really say something that like the talent that they had did not make the NCAA tournament any year under Travis Steele. Like that should really tell you something about the coaching. That's like the job that still did there and getting a coach like Sean Miller in there who is as proven as he is, should be seen as a again a major upgrade and a huge plus in their favor. And, and the good news for Sean Miller is he does inherit a very talented roster. He's got a guy in Colby Jones who Jeremy Wu has as a first round pick coming up next year. He's got Nunji and Fremantle. Fremantle's got to rebuild some stock after a disappointing season a year ago, but he's a guy who's proven to be an all conference level guy in this in this in this league. And Nunji had a very good year a season ago. Um, Maybe a few more questions with the guards outside of Jones. You've got Kunkel uh, back, who's a shooter. You bring in Suli Boom from UTEP by way of San Francisco. Big-time scoring point guard. High, high-usage ball screen guy. Definitely ball dominant. But the talent level, really, from 1 to 12, is really talented. I mean, right now, I'm projecting their 10 through 12 guys who aren't going to play as Caesar Edwards, uh, Elijah Tucker, and Desmond Claude. All of those guys were, what, top 150 kids? Probably higher? They were, they were all top 130, at least. These were all, like, well-regarded pieces. They've got, you know, Tandy, who has been very up and down his career, but at his best was able to score. Got Jerome Hunter, who was in the mix last year in the rotation as an athletic kid. Uh, Deontay Miles, who can be that you know interesting defensive center, and then Cam Kraft, another well-regarded recruit. They have just done such a good job in recruiting under Travis Steele, and certainly think Sean Miller will continue as he has so far with guys like Trey Green in 2023. Um, but to me, this roster is very appealing, very talented. They've got a proven coach, like him or not, in Sean Miller. Um, and to me, it's really just a question of do those two guards in Boom and Kunkel do enough to really unlock a ceiling here. I think Kunkel will be fine as just like going out there knocking down threes. Probably average close to 10 points a game. Boom, boom is, is the real X factor because I think they, they need some creation from them. 
They need basically high-level point guard plays, same as what UConn needs from Tristan Newton uh, and what Seton Hall needs from Kadari Richmond. You know, they they need a like a confident guy who who you can put the ball in his hands and can go get a bucket, score 12, 13 points a game. I mean, that's that's the real question mark here because Colby Jones is really good, NBA caliber good. Nunji had a huge year last year. He's, you know, top 75 player in the country, maybe. Fremantle need, needs a bounce back. Jerome Hunter needs a kind of put it together. But between the two of them, you're 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 probably fine at the four. As as you mentioned, the bench is loaded with guys with with great pedigrees. They have size coming off the bench. They have some versatility. Cam Crafts must be a great shooter. So yeah, I I, I have Xavier. Just at the back of the top 25, and uh, fifth in the Big East. I have them 25th. Yeah, they have 24. So yeah, we're right. I have them fourth in the Big East. Had a Providence just slightly. Um, that was a debate that I had to settle. That was very tricky. <laughs> but again, yeah, it boom is the only question. Everything else is a lot to like, and I love the upside here. If a guy like Elijah Tucker or Desmond Claude really just bursts onto the senior campground, love I love having those options of like eight through ten that can randomly hit. Edwards is a skilled big too, so no question. Tandy once upon a time was very highly regarded. Yeah, can really and proved he could score at this level, right? Like he was always hurt and then always in, in, in the doghouse for whatever whatever reason. But I don't know why he stuck around. Like what kid in in Tandy's position has stuck around? Where they were a legit rotation player, getting big minutes on as a freshman, and then completely fell out of the mix last year and just like yeah whatever instead of just being like, I'm gonna go to Western Kentucky and average like a gazillion shots a game. Yeah. Yeah, he averaged right. seven points a game as a freshman. And this is a guy that at one point I think people thought could be a breakout guy and just has never really put it together. But it's certainly an X factor for this group if he could finally become that. That's a, that's an old school college basketball move. Oh yeah. Well, well, what I what I brought up to Kevin yesterday on UNC's national championship team, Larry Drew as a freshman averaged like nine minutes a game, one point per game, and like two assists per game. The next season, he was a starting point guard. There you can probably count on one hand the amount of. Power five or, or power six teams that would just roll with a guy who averaged one point a one one point a game as a starter going into the next year now in in the transfer portal. Especially era. a point guard, yeah. Yeah, because because back then to to get transfers you had to get like really creative. Like I remember when Cooley first got the job and Providence took like Tyler Harris and Carson DeRozier's, I was like super excited, and that was like a backup center on a bad ACC team who was like a top 75 recruit and then a guy who averaged like a handful of minutes as a three-star recruit at nc state and i was like through the moon now if if a high major team took either of those transfers people would be holding their nose and they were both good so they weren't anyway all right next to st john st john's last year was Unmitigated disaster seems like 
a bit strong, but certainly did not live up to expectations by any means. We saw it coming from the schedule, where they had two opportunities to collect a good win. They had at Indiana, which they narrowly lost, and then Kansas on like a semi-home game where they got trounced. And then they lost like a bye game, and they were fooling around in bye games, winning by like single digits. They lost a pit. That was that was the one where like, oh yeah, St. John's actually sucks. Um, so yeah, I mean the thing with them last year, like I, mean, I think the thing generally with with St. John's throughout the time of uh, like Anderson is like Mike Anderson is this high floor coach to the country. Mike Anderson will not have a team go you know three and seventeen in the league. He will not finish one hundred and twentieth in Ken Palm. He will not stink, right? And he proved it year one when he's pulling you know Julian Champagny from, you know, obscurity in the recruiting rankings to, like, all Big East. And he's pulling, like, these guys. I mean, the, the Hard not rate, stars. Right. The hit rate that they have had with some of these three-star kids, these Juco kids, these transfers, you know, these down transfers, has been really, really high. And that's allowed them to be successful. But they haven't gotten over the hump. They haven't made the NCAA tournament in the Anderson era. And I think there's pressure building to do it. Uh, certainly, you know, Posh Alexander being back helps. There was rumors that maybe he would move on after the season. He decides to come back. Uh, he gives you your starting point guard. He gives you your centerpiece, your engine uh, of your offense. He's a guy who's also really the heart and soul defensively of what they do, but not a great shooter. And how does that pair with Andre Curbelo coming in from Illinois, who seemingly struggled on the international trip, is as dynamic and flashy as you will find at point guard, but makes so many mistakes and is so careless with his decision-making that you find a hard you find it hard to fully rely on him being a kind of steadying force. Um, David Jones coming from the Paul in conference transfer proven guy who can really really score at 33 against uh, Louisville earlier in the year last year had some really big games. He's a great get, no question about it. Um, but you have Posh, you have Jones, you have Curbelo, and you have Soriano as another kind of stanchion, um, you know, building block for this team that they seem very excited about. And then plenty of these glue guys, like Montez Mathis and Dylan Adai-Wusu and Isaiah Naiwi, um, even a guy like Pinzone, who was solid uh, at times as a freshman. So the talent level is, is high enough to go to the NCAA tournament. Um, the fit with this roster is a little bit weird. But at the end of the day, I think it's a win that St. John's had very little roster turnover this season after a ton of it a year ago. So on, on St. John's, they, they have a great one-two punch with Posh and David Jones. Dave, David Jones is really good. He's someone, when the ball's in his hands, you are worried that he, he's going to score. can do it in, inside and out. Posh, you know, one, one of the better point guards in the country. Great great defender, tough. If he's hitting shots, he's, he, he's on another level. The issue with this St. John's team is they don't have enough shot making, especially shooting. Like, Jones and Posh can go score. You might be able to get some mileage out of Soriano scoring on the inside. But the shooting is just, just not going to be there. Um, I, I watched, like, the first half of their biggest test on the, on the overseas trip, and the uh, spacing just looked tight. A bunch of guys that just weren't great shooters. Um, 
there isn't even like a guy like you can pencil in like oh maybe that guy can just come in and space it right like I think it's supposed to be AJ Store but right, he's a fresh Store or Colby King but like really you know like the uh, market for the, wings with size was very dry wings with size who could shoot was basically non-existent yep like like Jacob Grandison's at Duke right that's 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 what we're talking about with, with the market and so I think. This St. John's team, despite having two, two of the best players in the conference, despite having more talent than like Marquette and Seton Hall, I think, as well, I think that they're going to fall to to eighth in the league behind this lack of shooting and uh, just just miss the NCAA tournament. I think they'll be okay. I think they'll be better than that. I have them seventh in the league. I have them 38th, excuse me, actually. So that's like right, right on the cut line. Right on the cut line. I just think I think they're going to be much more dynamic defensively with Soriano in better shape, with Jones and Mathis as these big physical wings, uh, and Adai Wusu as well, who I know is one of your favorite players, Brad. Absolutely. I love Adai Wusu as well, big physical guy. I think, I mean, like, like think about a lineup where, like, Curbella comes off the floor at times, and you play Posh, Adai Wusu, Mathis, Jones, and Soriano. That's a mammoth lineup, physicality-wise. I mean, that, that's a, that, that looks like a football team in terms of the, the, the size and strength. Um, they'll be good in transition. It's just, again, the half court, they're really going to miss Champagne, uh, and they're going to miss generally having floor spacers. I mean, there's no guarantee anyone on this team shoots 35% from three. That, that lineup that you just ran out, I think that's their starting lineup. I think they'll bring Curbelo off the bench. I think Bello got to start. I'm, I'm just out on Curbelo. I know you are. I haven't sold all my shares just yet. Yeah, I, I have St. John's like 50th or 51st, so just a couple spots below you. But All right, three more to get to here. Uh, this has been a little marathon podcast, folks. Appreciate you bearing with us. Got Butler here, um, the Bulldogs. New coach, Thad Mata, brings, I think, some much-needed excitement to a program that had gotten stale under Laval Jordan. Laval seems like a wonderful guy. He developed players relatively well, but just didn't recruit enough talent. I mean, I think we said a few times last year, like Butler looked like they should be, a, like too many of Butler's players look like they belong to George Washington. And that's not like a good sign when you have to play against Villanova and Creighton and Providence and Seton Hall. Like the athleticism, the physicality, they looked overwhelmed. They looked overmatched when I saw them in person against Houston. They certainly looked overmatched against Houston. They even looked over at the A&M. Texas A&M physically dominated them. And I think this, the, the, the change there starts with a guy like Manny Bates who comes in um, as Thadmata's big year one addition. Bates, Eric Hunter, and Ali Ali, three transfers. But I think you pencil in as starters for this Butler team in year one under Thad. One of the winning, you know, the, the, the biggest winners in the sport was Thadmata when he was at Ohio State. Had it really rolling fade a little bit down the stretch. College basketball has changed a lot, and I think Butler uh, is nowhere near the job that people think it is, where it will just fix itself. But I do think that they've got enough talent here, combining you know Hunter, Ali, and Bates with some of the returners like Chuck Harris, Seamus Lukosius, and Jaden Taylor, that this team should very much be in the mix for an NCAA tournament. Bit. I'm not sure they'll get there, but I think they'll be in the mix. Yeah, I think that they're going to fall short. I, I, I have them ninth. I have them square in in the NIT. I mean, Eric Hunter, I think, was, was a pretty good ad 
Uh, I I think you know he he's shown flashes before as being Better a guy who can be. Better than Fantasy. Absolutely. Uh, and you know Better Hunter's absolutely. Hunter showed flashes early in his Purdue career of being the guy who could score, who could have had the ball in his hands. Less so the past couple of years, uh, but I think I think he'll have just a really good solid year, averaging like 10, 10 points a game, adding a high, higher level player than Butler's had in, in the recent past at, at point guard, adding some stability. Um, Manny Bates, who got hurt after one minute last year, which is crazy. I mean, in la- last year, I, I I personally had him toward the end of my top 100 players list. So if he can kind of regain that form and be a Big time shop locker. I'm sure the presence of Greg Oden on the staff was how 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 they got him in there. But I mean that's that's a big upgrade from from Bryce Golden. And then hopefully you get jumps from Taylor and Lukosius. And I, I I guess the idea is that Chuck Harris is your best player, which I'm I, I'm not down with. I think he's one of the more overrated players in the country. Um, but th- this is just like a solid middle of the pack team, but I think the Big East is stronger than normal this year, which I think pushes Butler down toward nine. They did a good job of making improvements. It's just, I think the provinces, the Seton Halls, the Xavier's, even Marquette just have, have a better group in place right now. Yeah. I, I think the question I have when I look at Butler is like, what, what's their identity? Right. And, and maybe it's just like me not, I wasn't covering the sport. When Thad Mata was really rolling it at Ohio State, but like what's what what is the identity here for for Butler? Are they going to win because they're elite shooting team? I don't think they look like that on paper. Are they going to win because they're extremely physical? I, I don't know that I see that on paper. Are they going to win just by being steady and well coached? That kind of seems like the best outlet, right? Is that they're going to be Super, super, you know, disciplined with a senior point guard, uh, you know, a veteran shooting guard who can score it, you know, transfers up front. And then Bates gives them a look they've never really had. I mean, Butler, if you think about the bigs that they've had over the years, it has very much been, you know, that thought athletic guys. Even like a Tyler Weidman was like a, like a you know, below-the-rim player for the most part. Uh, Bates is very different. You know, how, how about kind of shakes out is very interesting to me. Um, I still think they're probably missing one piece. Um, I think we mentioned this at one point on the breakout podcast. Like, it'd be easier to project them if they only had one of Seamus Lukosius and Jaden Taylor. Like, if one of them was there, everyone would be like, oh, that guy's going to average 14 points a game. And because both of them are there, you're like, oh, well, maybe. You know, like, each one could. They kind of split the vote. Um, but the debate of, like, is it enough? is the tricky one. And last year, I think we both kind of came to, like, okay, there's probably not enough talent here. We thought they'd be approved. And statistic- like, like metrics-wise, they weren't. They were the same team, like 120-ish uh, nationally. I do think they're going to make that jump this year. They go up. I, I'm 57. I know T-Rank is nowhere near as well as T-Rank has a 104. Because so, they have Manny Bates as, like, a zero-point-per-game guy. Yeah. yeah. So that's a tricky thing, but... I don't know that Manny Bates is worth 45 spots to Butler, though. So There's still a divide there. It's just not as big. Yeah, I have him kind of in the same range, around like 57 or 58, I think. I think that they did a good job. It's just not quite enough to get them over the hump. 
and I I like both Sailor and and Lukosius, and I think kind of an X factor to watch could be Miles Tate. Um, coming off an injury, was you know working his way back last year, but he he's he's known as a scoring guard too. So Butler, I, I will also say Butler's had horrible injury luck. Absolutely. Maybe maybe that kind of swings back in their favor this year. Um, but that brings us to the Paul, uh, the the clear bottom kind of forming here with Paul and Georgetown. I think I'm, I think everyone's picking them in the bottom two. Um, I haven't really seen a lot of picks otherwise. But the Paul had a nice year last year, all things considered. You know, six and fourteen. That's a great year at the Paul in year one for Stubbs. They were very kind of kind of a weird fitting roster, but they played really really hard. They made a lot of games interesting because they were athletic and long. They played that two big location with Yorinai and Nick on Genda up front, uh, and then got a lot of mileage out of Javon Freeman Liberty and David Jones. Both those guys gone. The new looking group. Um, but I don't think all hope is lost because the guys they brought in are pretty talented. Uh, Caleb Murphy from South Florida, he's a really gifted, you know, scoring guard. Umoja Gibson can really, really shoot it at Oklahoma. Seems like he wants to be able to play with the ball in his hands more and create. That was a big selling point. Jalen Terry got minutes last year. He'll be in the mix in the backcourt. Zion Cruz should be in the mix in the backcourt. Uh, you also have guys like uh, Ahmad Bynum who were in the mix last year. Bynum was hurt or dealing with academic issues last year. Excuse me. He'll be potentially getting eating some minutes. Phil Jebrowit was in the mix. Like, there's a there's a crowded backcourt, but I think a relatively talented one. And they also replaced Jones late with a guy in Eral Penn from LIU Brooklyn, who is this like long athletic three four type who can really, really rebound and can pop into threes. So um, at least got someone to fill that David Jones role. And the strength here is the backcourt and then the rim protection. I think it'll be a similar recipe, like muck it up and then be really physical and hope that you have enough scoring talent to win games late. I'm not sure that they do, so I'm not projecting a huge jump, but I don't think it'll be a big regression either in year two under steps. Yeah, I think that they're less talented. I mean, when you go from Freeman Liberty and David Jones to Moji Gibson and Errol Penn, you're, you're losing a lot of di- dynamism. You're, you're losing a lot of creation. I mean, do you think that b- b- before last season, I think most people would have said Caleb Murphy was better than Javon Freeman Liberty. No. I don't think no Javon way. was like Arch coming into last year. And Caleb Murphy's good. No, people were all in on Freeman Liberty. People were also all in on Caleb Murphy as a breakout guy last year. NBA people love Caleb Murphy. Apparently. I mean, he he's a great athlete. He's he's a great defender. But Freeman Liberty was like a, a legit, like really good scorer. Didn't he have like 20 points a game last year? Yeah, but coming into last year, I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. I I I definitely had him as like a top 10 player in the Big East in the preseason. Javon averaged 14 of the previous year, so yeah. maybe I'm underrating Javon a little bit. Yeah, this. DePaul team isn't bad. I think they're still a top 100 team. The uh, front court super athletic with Penn, Ungenda, and Anai. They're all long and rangy. And Ungenda specifically could be the best player on the team. Yeah. Big athletic center can block shots. Terry and Gibson. Weird mid-range jump shots that he really should never shoot. <laughs> Terry and Gibson in the backcourt can both shoot. I think Terry could make a little jump. 
give them a little more scoring. But I mean, this is this is definitely the worst roster in the conference. Um, it's not not like a terrible roster, but Big East being up this year and they're losing. I actually don't think their roster is any worse than Marquette's. Really? Because you don't you don't think much of Omax or Igadaro. That's 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 the difference. But. Do you think substantially more of Igadaro and Omax than you do of Nick Angenda? I like Angenda more than Igadaro, but I like Omax way more than like Penn and Cruz and Javon Johnson and everyone they have in that three and four group. And I think Kolak is definitely better than Jalen Terry. Yeah, but I think the two with like Murphy and Emoji Gibson, I'd feel a lot better about Marquette if they had one of one or both of Terry and or Gibson and Murphy. I know Gibson's a much better defender than Cam Jones, but Cam Jones could really shoot it. And so can Emoji Gibson. Right. So it's not it's not like a big offensive differential. That that, that uh, neither neither Caleb Murphy or Emoji Gibson fixes their offensive question marks at at, at, at Marquette. And I think it's a measurable difference, but let's Stevie fine. Mitchell, I mean, he was considered as like a serious scoring guard coming out of high school. So year two, maybe maybe he provides that. But, uh, I've got DePaul 110th and last in the league. So, I mean, I, I'm not like oh. bullish here, but I don't think the talent actually is that substantially worse than like Marquette or Butler for that matter. I disagree there. I think that they've cl- clearly the worst roster in the league, but it's not that bad. I think I have them like 80th or something, like 85th. But. Yeah. And that brings us to our last team, which is Georgetown. They were a disaster last year. I mean, been talked about lane. Everything that could have went wrong did go wrong. But they empty out the staff. Ewing gets one more year. They really empty out the roster. Only major piece that's back is Dante Harris. Um, and the pieces that do come in give this team at least a chance, right? You have Brandon Murray coming in from LSU. You average 10 a game in the SEC. Kudus Wahab comes back after a year at Maryland. He was a guy who was like a 12-8 and guy for Georgetown two years ago. You ideally try to find that form back with him. You bring in Jay Heath, who scored it everywhere he's been. You bring in a cook a cook, a 30 recruit out of high school. He's in the next to UConn, dealt with injuries. Uh, and even some of these bench transfers, like Primo Spears from Duquesne, who scored it on a really bad Duquesne team last year, and Bryson Mazzone, who averaged 15 a game at USCF State. There's at least now like a, like a top seven or eight that looks like a high major team. Last year's didn't. Uh, and I think that, that gives you some optimism here that maybe Georgetown is ready to turn it around a little bit. Um, I have, I, I've really kind of struggled with what to do with this because on one hand, like I don't have a lot of confidence in Patrick Ewing as a coach. I'm not necessarily buying Dante Harris as like an elevator at the point guard spot. Wahab is coming off a bad year. Heath has never won anything. A cook, a cook's an injury-prone dude. So Murray's your only like proven commodity other than Harris that you like. And I'm not like I didn't watch LSU last year. Like holy cow, Brandon Murray's like God. You know, I thought he was a good rotation player. So on one hand, there's that. On the other hand, is like okay, this is going to look out. This roster kind of makes sense. If it all breaks right, this team is talented enough to be in like the NCAA tournament next. I don't think that's a crazy thing to say. Um, it's just 
the odds of it breaking right with so many new faces, with a coach that's, you know, certainly not earned much benefit of the doubt at this point, and with injury questions and all, all that comes with it, and just kind of generally not great energy about the place. And just, I wonder, like, what we really should be expecting from Georgetown this week. Yeah, I, I have them 10th. I mean, it's, it's kind of similar to Butler, where, yeah, they, they made a lot of nice improvements, but it's just not going to be enough. I I think Brandon Murray could be a fine best player. I think, you know, he could average 15 points a game or whatever. Um, but in projecting them, you need a bounce-back year from Kudus Wahab, who was not good last year at Maryland. He, he was great at Georgetown. The he was, was not yet. Stylistically, was really bad. Then you see your third best player is probably Jay Heath. That doesn't fill you with a lot of confidence. He's decent scorer, bounced around with Boston College, Arizona State. I need to um, waiver. Everyone needs a waiver. Everyone's going to get a waiver. They got to get a waiver. What, what are we doing? Um, Did Jay Heath get a runoff? Why would Bobby Hurley not? He's, he got um, Frankie Collins, Austin Nunez, Desmond Cambridge. Jay Austin Heath is... Nunez? What? Who the hell is Austin Nunez? Isn't he the top 75 recruit on Arizona State? Yeah. Well, I know that. But I, I was trying to figure out what he transferred. Like, what do you... Because I thought you were talking about guys who he was getting a waiver for, like Frankie Collins. No, no, I was like... One kind of transfer. And I was like, the only Nunez I could think of that you might be confusing him for was Adrian Nunez. No, no I, I was saying, why would Bobby Hurley really care about Jay yeah. Heath's waiver when he got a top 75 recruit, a former top 75 recruit transfer, yeah. Yeah. and one of the top, whatever, 50 players in the portal in Desmond Cambridge. Like, he, Heath is like a fine third best player. Yeah. But Dante Harris was really bad last year. Primo Spears, we mentioned he's come from Duquesne, who was really bad. We'll see how Spears translates. Denver Anglin can really shoot it, so maybe that's an option. Um, so can Wayne Bristol. Wayne Bristol, like, mid-year transfer. Um, yeah, that was, that, that was a catastrophically dumb move that worked out okay because they wound up with a lot of spots. But burning a scholarship on a MIAC transfer on, like, January 20th, Entering like a critical offseason was one of the dumbest things I've ever seen in my life. And then I, people are really kind of misremembering a cook a cook. Like, even at his best, he is strictly a power forward. He cannot play center. He's too th- thin. He, he, he gets bullied inside. And he, at, at his best, he was obviously more athletic and more active, but he was a shot blocking three point shooter. He doesn't score with the ball in his hand or anything. He's, he's he's very limited. Knock off Chet Holmgren. Yeah, without the dribbling and passing. Yes. Um, he, he, he's dollar general Chet Holmgren. So we'll see how he how he's feeling. I mean, he's been hampered the past few few seasons yeah. after that Achilles. Feels like um, And then Br- Bryson Monzone should be solid, just like a Kind of a three and D, six seventh man type of guy. So they 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 did a good job up up upgrading the talent. I had them last year coming into the year outside my top 100. I'm like 73rd now. Obviously they were. I have them 102. Oh, I think that they're 
they're better than that, but I think they're better than Cowboys. I have no confidence. I have no confidence in it. Like, like what? They could be 160 again. I wouldn't be like blown. Like, the the, the this kind of reminds me of like some of the Nebraska teams that I look at with Hoiberg. I'm like, ah, you know, maybe there's talent here, but like they still want to have 150th. I don't think that there's any way that Georgetown or or DePaul makes a tournament. I think that their rosters are, while in Georgetown's case is improved, I think it's still a step below the Butler, St. John's, Marquette group. And we wrap it up, as always, Brad, with the hot seat and kind of the general kind of coaching feel in the conference. New coach at Villanova, new coach at Xavier, new coach at Seton Hall, new coach at Butler. You would imagine those guys have zero chance of going anywhere. Um, the only, like, true hot seat, I think, this year is Patrick Ewing, right? You Not even Mike Anderson? I wouldn't say he's hot seat, but I think it's, like, it could heat up quick. So, like, if it's tiers, it's, like, number one, and it's, like, the tier of his own is Patrick Ewing. Obviously has insulation by being Patrick Ewing and having, like, a real buyout still on his contract. Um, and he also has a good recruit signed in 2023, Marvell Allen who could help him if it's kind of 50-50. But, like, if this thing comes in 10th or 11th again in the league, can you really run it back again? Right? Like, I don't think you can. But I also didn't think it was possible to run it back after last year. They did. So, uh, I don't have a great feel nationally. I still have to make the rounds with sources. But I think the feeling is that it has to be better. But, like, how much better, I think, is still probably an open question. I think Anderson Anderson could get hot if this thing is not, like, close to the tournament, right? Like, I don't think he's getting fired if they get, like, a three seed in the NIT. But if they go, like, you know, if they're, like, 78th in Kempom, 70th, 80th, like, then you start to think maybe there could be a move made. Wouldn't rule it out, at least. And then, I mean, I don't, I don't see really any other potential moves, right? Like, no. UConn's not firing Dan Hurley regardless of what like people say about tournament success. Creighton is not firing Greg Dirt McDermott unless he gets canceled. And quite frankly, I don't think any of these guys are going anywhere, right? Like, Shaka's not going anywhere. Ed Cooley's not going anywhere. Uh, Neptune and Miller and Thad aren't going anywhere. McDermott, I guess, could maybe jump. But, like, I don't think that's overly likely. I think it's going to be a very quiet cycle for the Big East next year. Like, I think the most likely candidate of a coach to leave on his own accord. Patrick Ewing. On his own accord? You don't think that if this year goes bad, he might just be like, yeah. I don't think he would leave. I'd get, it'd be a, okay, maybe. Okay, leave for another job. How about this? Okay. I think it's probably Shaheen Holloway. But Shaheen also loves Seton Hall so much that, like, I don't see him doing that either. But what could he possibly do in one year? If, right, he, went like a, a, if like, he went to the Sweet 16, like, the Knicks would call him. Oh, I mean, I don't know about anything about what NBA GM's temperature on hiring college coaches is, is still. But, I mean, if... If Seton Hall does what we think and is like a nine seed or a ten seed in the NCAA tournament, uh, I'm not sure where Shaheen would be able to go where it's better than Seton Hall. But agreed. But he's going to be a hot name at least because of the aftermath of this run. 
where especially if he kind of maintains it, I don't know that he's going to go anywhere just because of who he is and what Team Hall means to him. It's a special place. But we should at least watch it. Watch the space. And again, I, I, the, 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 the Knicks thing is mostly a joke, but like, he really fits an NBA thing. Like, former elite, you know, high school recruit, new guys like Kobe and stuff coming out. Like you're telling me, like, 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 if 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 Katie's still with the the Nets and like they fire Steve Nash, like Shaheen Holloway is not like an absurd candidate to replace him. Yeah, but isn't Shaheen all about like toughness and defense? I feel like most of the guys who get the bump to the NBA are more offensive guys. Uh, yes, but I also don't. Young, relatable black guy who knows people. And his tied heavily to New York, like that's gonna work. That's gonna sell. Guess we'll have to see. But. I again, I don't think it's necessarily likely. I don't. I just, I, I just think it's a quiet cycle for the Big East, other than Ewing. So we shall see. That's it for this week. We'll have another conference next week. Do the Big Ten next week, so you'll hear that. I can't but, wait till preview season is over. Get well, us the season. Let's do this, baby. Come on. Dude, I'm, I'm excited. We got an inner squad scrimmage on the 15th. I think it's the 15th. My, 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 my closing statement for all of you is that Indiana's Hoosier Hysteria is back on October 7th, I believe. Um, and they just announced that G Herbo would be performing. And I would love to know if Mike Woodson has any idea who G Herbo is. I'm pretty sure Brad doesn't have any idea who G Herbo is. I have no idea who that is. <laughs> He's a rapper from Chicago. Oh. Cool. But I, I can't imagine Mike Woodson's like a big G Herbo guy. Anyway, that's the show. See y'all next week. Another preview.